Welcome to our 2021 Market Outlook webcast. I'm Todd Eckler, Chief Marketing Officer at Fiduciary Trust. I hope that you and your families are staying safe and healthy and having a positive start to the new year. 2020 was a year like no other. Both the economy and the markets experienced wild gyrations in the wake of the pandemic, with most financial markets ending the year in strong positive territory while the economy was still rebounding. To help you stay one step ahead in 2021, today we'll cover what is the current state of the economy and financial markets? How do we see the path of economic recovery unfolding? What impact do we expect the Biden administration policies to have? And which asset classes do we expect will do well in 2021? I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer, who will share our perspectives on these topics. Over to you, Austin, to begin today's discussion. Thank you, Todd. Few years will have the societal impact that 2020 had on our world. For many of us, it will be an inflection year, one that we look back upon as what went before it and what follows. For fiduciary trust, 2020 was a year that reinforced all that we had learned in our previous 135 years of operation about navigating uncertainty and most importantly, around prioritizing the well-being of our clients, our colleagues, and our nation. With that context, today I'm joined by our Chief Investment Officer, Hans Olsen, and we will briefly review the key points of 2020, but more importantly, we'll focus on peering into this upcoming year, 2021. Hans, are you there? I am indeed, Austin. Hans, it's good to see you in our remote operations. Happy New Year's. Good to see you as well. Happy New Year. As I mentioned, Hans, 2020 was an extraordinary year on so many different fronts. And we could probably spend three hours reviewing all the different nuances that went on during the course of the 12 months. But if I was to, if I was to ask you to distill down to three things that we should highlight or remember from 2021, particularly as it relates to investments, as we look into 2021, what would be those points be? The three things, I think that's right. I think there are three big things that happened last year. Obviously, it was the pandemic. And, and with that global pandemic, the economic uh, destruction that it brought with it, uh, and we saw that manifest itself in, in the global economy, we saw that in regional economies and the markets that operate in those economies. And at its, at its very worst, the markets ceased to function in an orderly way, which caused, which precipitated uh, the uh, item number two, which is the uh, double barrel policy response uh, that was that that was directed at the problem, and that came in the form of massive fiscal stimulus and monetary support. Uh, and that combined uh, essentially led to point number three, which was a recovery, a remarkable recovery in markets, if not the economy, uh, in the in the closing months of the year. So. You know, it was both Annus Horribilis and Annus Mirabilis, all in a 12-month time frame. Well, Hans, I can't say that I've mastered Latin that well, but I, I get your gist. 
let me let me uh, build upon that because I think one point that we have talked about in our third quarter was the word disconnect. Um, and what I think many who are watching this, and I myself, this disconnect between what we see on Main Street and what is on Wall Street. Um, how do you square those two now as you reflect back on 2020 and, and also maybe a little bit as we start thinking going forward? Yeah, I, I, that's a good question. And it was a question that, um, that was pretty common amongst investors and, and, and market watchers over the back half of 2020. I think there's probably several answers to that. First, um, all that policy response uh, that we saw, and especially on the part of the Federal Reserve, because what the Federal Reserve did was, was utterly remarkable. Um, massive expansion of the Federal Reserve balance sheet. They, pro, they, they commenced a bond buying program that was very broad based. And, and basically, in short, they took off the gloves, if you will. The only thing that they didn't buy, it seems, were equities. And that helped to reestablish order uh, in, in the capital markets. So, and it caught, you know, all of a sudden stock prices caught a bid, bond prices caught a bid. And you could see that uh, over, with the path of, of uh, bond prices over the course of the year. In the early stages of the pandemic, yield spreads or the, the amount of incremental yield that you get for holding like an investment grade bond or high yield bond essentially tripled in, in, in the very clutches of the pandemic. And then after that, uh, these programs got released, uh, those yield spreads quickly came back to almost to where they were before the crisis and certainly ended the year uh, in that neighborhood. The second thing uh, is, is this, so the first is, again, is that the, a lot of the, 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 the Federal Reserve efforts were to uh, basically give the markets time to recover. The fiscal stimulus was to help uh, Main Street. And, and the problems on Main Street are always slower to react uh, than, than the markets because the markets are future discounting mechanisms. The other thing is that, and we're, we're coming to terms with this, and I think it's probably important to remember as we move forward, is that the economy, especially here in the United States, is pretty different from the market which operates in that economy. Uh, U.S. economy is about 70% consumption. You know, I think when you tally up the market uh, and the consumption-related uh, uh, sectors of the market, they're probably about a quarter uh, of the total market, maybe a quarter to a third of the market. So there's a fundamental disconnect when we try to measure uh, economic activity with market activity. They're related, but the, uh, uh, the, 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 the relationship isn't as tight as, as we, would, uh, we would expect um, when people are talking about these things. Hans, let me come back to and just summarize what I what I think I hear you say, which is the experience that we saw in the markets was was materially um, influenced by flood, lack of a better word, flooding the flooding the financial markets with money, uh, and that money went out uh, into various vehicles. And I think what you're saying, and I, I want to get to this point about did the money flow evenly? Or did it go to different areas, uh, some more so than others, and drive up uh, prices and values? 
Well, that's a that's a good point. Um, in the early stages, Austin, it went into um, basically more technology related or more of the online economy. So uh, companies such as Microsoft and uh, Amazon and, and Netflix and the like all enjoyed really strong uh, runs, I mean, remarkably strong runs. So the, the market cap weighted indexes, which are um, dominated by those very large uh, companies and, and fewer and fewer companies that are bigger and bigger, that, you know, essentially the top 1% of the S&P 500 uh, account for something on the order, of, well, actually the top five account for something on the order of about a quarter of the index's weight. So that had a very good, uh, those, those, those stocks had a remarkably strong year. But what happened in the, the fourth quarter uh, was that the, the market particip participation broadened out and the average company did significantly better. Um, so where we ended the year was essentially, you know, those big companies doing exceptionally well, right? Sort of the uh, companies that you would associate with uh, work. Uh, from home or work, you know, this work, new work paradigm, whereas the average company uh, still did well, but, 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 you know, probably to the tune of about five percentage points on average less well than uh, those big companies. So it, it was a very bifurcated market uh, in, in 2020. Um, certainly the American uh, uh, markets did uh, really remarkably well. Other developed markets did less well. Emerging markets actually had a very decent year last year. Hans, let's, uh, let me come back to this point, which is you talked about how a very small segment of the market did amazingly well. So less than 10, 15 stocks had fantastic years. And then the average, everybody else uh, had a different experience. Uh, two questions that come out of that is one, do you think for those that very concentrated small number of stocks, how, what are your thoughts for, as it relates to their valuations? Um, are people um, buying these because their neighbors are buying them and that's what's driving that aspect? And uh, is there an underlying aspect about their uh, future prospects? Um, and then two, you mentioned a secondary point, you mentioned in towards the end of the year, some of that concentration was dissipated and it was more broadly across the market. And what does that imply as we go into this year, yes. I, well, I think to the to the first point, uh, the answer is yes, right? So people were buying them because that uh, it, it was one fashionable. Other people were buying them. There was so it was the new um, sort of um, you know uh, uh, favorite style, if you will. The other thing was is that with interest rates exceptionally low and with uh, expectations for growth being challenged. Um, these are areas that represented growth and, and therefore uh, it attracted capital for sure. I think as we got into the back half of the year and, and investors started to find some, um, you know, sort of steel uh, in their nerves uh, as a result of all the uh, fiscal and monetary support, as well as the promise of additional support, uh, the market participation broadened out. Um, so people were looking for relative value. And in, in fact, if the if we were coming to the end of the pandemic, which is, I think, where we are right now. So we're at the very beginning stages of the end of this. Um, then people were looking for other sectors that will likely participate in a broader recovery uh, that's expected to happen in 2021. And indeed, Austin, if we look in the opening days of this year, 
that bifurcation has now flipped uh, to more of the average stock in the index rather than those those heavily weighted, very large cap names. And what does that imply or what how should I think also as it relates to mid cap stocks, so stocks that are smaller than the largest ones, uh, small cap. Yeah. And I think you mentioned also um, emerging markets and developed international um, their experience right now. Is there a broader appetite and growth options there? It seems as if there is, uh, and certainly we perceive that as well. I think uh, to the first part of your question, I think the, the this rotation that we're seeing is likely has legs to it. Uh, you know, growth in the United States this year is probably going to be on the order of three percent if we we look at the IMF data. I think that's probably reasonable. Uh, and if we if if this is truly the beginning of the end of the pandemic, then um, and we get this economic growth. There isn't any reason why we wouldn't think we get broader participation in, in, in markets and, and we get relative rotation, we get value rotation or relative value rotation within markets so we get better participation. I think in the, um, on the, in the international arena, it gets a little uh, uh, more nuanced. Without a doubt, in the developed world, and you think Europe and Japan, um, those markets had had perked up in, in Q4 pretty nicely. Uh, here again, we're expected to see growth in the developed world, um, not as much as in the emerging world. Uh, but with that said, um, I think those markets are going to 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 also fa um, be favored. Uh, be viewed favorably in 2021, but I don't think as much as the emerging world because you have a lot more growth in the emerging world uh, and, and and relatively decent values there. And they had a it had a good 2021 in the closing months, and I think we're likely to see that continue into this year because Austin. At the end of the day, I, I fully expect that we'll see we're in a weak dollar environment right now. And part of that is, is a function of some of the uh, uh, deficits that we're going to have to finance uh, as we provide assistance to the economy uh, and, and, you know, as we look at growth differentials around the world. So I think, you know, we're likely going to see new lows in the dollar, uh, new probably new five-year lows in the dollar. And if that happens, that makes uh, international equities... Uh, much more attractive uh, than they were in a strong dollar regime. The other thing that's going to happen is now that we have a new administration, we'll probably have uh, to more of a weak dollar uh, policy around this. So with uh, perhaps trade barriers coming down and the like, it's probably reasonable to think um, uh, there'll be a move away from the dollar and we'll see a weak dollar. This will help U.S. economy for sure, especially the export side of the economy. So you would read that as you know those technology companies will will get will uh, get help from this. Industrial companies, uh, some of the consumer product companies, uh, the larger ones with uh, very large global footprints, uh, should benefit from that. So um, a weak dollar policy uh, will certainly help not only some of the domestic companies, but it'll definitely make those international uh, markets look more attractive. Hans, thank you for that answer. I guess there's a number of different things that I'd like to probe um, in your response. I guess the first one was you mentioned an expectation for about a 3% uh, growth in GDP this in 2021. Uh, I'd love to hear your uh, background and perspective regarding that, and also just a perspective as what we experienced in 2020. Right, right. So 
In 2020, the numbers have, are yet to be complete, but uh, according to the IMF, and, and I think the numbers are reasonable, they, they expect that the U.S. economy will, uh, will have dropped, contracted somewhere on the order of about 4%. So uh, when, when recalling sort of our outlook, we thought sort of the path out of the, uh, uh, the pandemic uh, sort of environment would, for the economy, would look more W-shaped. So very sharp contraction and recovery in the first V. The second V would, could be much, much more attenuated. I think we're in that second V, and, and that V is going to be much, much more attenuated than the first. Um, and, and that's a factor, that's a function of um, you know, delays in another round of stimulus. We have the stimulus now stepping off into 2021. There's likely going to be more. Um, so that 4% contraction last year will be compared to something on the order of about a 3% expansion this year. Big swing, big swing. And actually that 3% would be above what we probably will, will run at going forward, which will probably be closer to 2 That said, that's going to be driven by a return to a more normal operation later in the year once the vaccines are delivered, number one. Number two, we're going to get and we're going to get more stimulus. There's probably another $1,400 to $2,000 coming. And and there will be other packages that the new administration will release that will help uh, accelerate and recover economic activity this year. Hans, in your discussion around the stimulus, um, you touched on one of the material changes that has happened uh, since the beginning of the year, which is uh, the Democratic Party's um, success, uh, both successes in the Senate races down in Georgia. Um, how does that factor into your thoughts um, as it relates to the markets uh, in 2021, uh, having a, a Democratic White House, Senate and Congress? What are your thoughts relating to stimulus? taxes, um, and how the markets will uh, navigate that? Well, there's, there's a, a number of things that that's going to, uh, there's a number of things that that's going to result in. First of all, and probably um, most importantly, is that the new administration will get to choose, it'll get to uh, choose the administration uh, that it wants. So the president will essentially get all the folks uh, confirmed that he needs to get confirmed. And that's going to be good for him. The second thing will be, uh, it will, it, we will likely see, um, we'll likely see a number of things that'll happen. So around more stimulus, as I've said, uh, it looks like we've already seen in the works um, efforts to get another fourteen hundred to two thousand dollars. There'll be infrastructure spending. There will be. Um, uh, there'll be a, a great deal of focus on climate change. There's, there's talk that uh, there'll be sort of this notion of whole of government response on climate change. So that'll, it'll be, it'll factor into everything that we do uh, as a government. Uh, and then a lot of the, and, and in order to pay for this, there are going to be uh, increases in taxes. And probably the first taxes that are going to go up will be in the corporate sphere. So corporate taxes will lift, and that'll be followed probably by taxes on income, dividends, and capital gains. Uh, and that'll be, um, this will be 
really under the banner of trying to get income equality uh, addressed, uh, income inequality addressed. So both there'll be spending and, and, and tax responses to this. Uh, there won't be, um, it doesn't look like there'll be any of this sort of noise around packing of courts or uh, ending of filibuster, any of that. There's, there's just not the numbers uh, for that. One final thing, Austin, that's kind of interesting is that we might see a very, very much a return to these coalitions that form uh, in divided government, evenly divided government. So you get much more of a, a centrist um, um, you know, groupings that will form up in order to get things done. Uh, so, so moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats will come together to create um, blocks of votes that will help advance legislation. And with that, um, it's generally considered from, from folks that we, we talk to in D.C. that the new president is a legislator's legislator. So um, you, you have the potential for some real deal making to get done. Uh, so we'll have to see, but, but that's the way things look at this juncture. So Hans, if I interpret it correctly, what I what I hear you say is that maybe for the first half of the year we will continue to see a, a continuation of of for lack of a better word flooding of market putting money out into the economy and possibly uh, in the second half of the year taking that money back through increased taxes. Is that a, a, a simple summation of it? I think that's a fair summation of it, um, and that, to your good point, it's probably in the in the back half of the year once the legislation gets passed. Uh, and again, that's probably going to be focused first uh, on corporate taxes because uh, it's if you take it from personal uh, taxes, it, it ends up being um, a restrictive, right? So you you have all this money getting flooded. It's easy money. It's very stimulative. And when you start to raise taxes, that's very restrictive. It's anti-stimulative. And, you, and, and the administration is not going to want to do that for individuals. So it's a little easier to do it uh, for corporations, which means that investors are going to have to reckon with the notion that after tax returns, on uh, corporate profits are going to are going to be lower, and they're going to have to factor that into their pricing. Which means, I think, Austin, at some point this year, we're going to have we're going to have another bout of volatility, and and it could be, it could be, pretty meaningful volatility. That doesn't mean that you go sell your stocks or try to time a market downdraft. It, not at all. But it means that you have to brace yourself for the inevitable, and and that is a market pullback that could be anywhere on the order from 6 to 15%. And that will feel absolutely awful at the time. It will have people questioning their, their whole viewpoints, but uh, uh, toward, you know, sort of the path of the recovery and the health of the market, et cetera. But um, I think it's important that people um, set the expectation that we're going to have as we start to factor in all these moving parts, um, some pretty rough sledding in, uh, this year. Hans, to that point, one um, point of ballast within many people's portfolios has been fixed income. Um, and with all this printing and, uh, of money, um, yields have dramatically dropped. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's different dynamics that are going on in the fixed income uh, world. 
talk to me about how you think about uh, fixed income in this environment, uh, low rates, and also, I guess, longer term, how that uh, influences your thoughts as it relates to currencies, the U.S. dollar specifically. Yeah, I mean, that's that is the big question. So, you know, you and I, Austin, have talked a number of times about the problems when you have the central bank actively and aggressively involved in uh, fixed income markets the way it has been, both in terms of flooding money, um, money printing, and then active bond buying. And when you have something like a central bank, it really doesn't care about profit and loss as much as providing support for the market in the market in a material way. It, 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 it creates a real deterioration in the price signal. Um, and so that's, that's, that's really hard to contend with. The reality is, is that interest rates are so low uh, in the, for example, in the municipal bond market, when you look across the municipal yield curve, very high quality bonds, they're all trading below the inflation rate. So, you know, municipal bonds are not, they're giving you income, but not enough income to preserve your purchasing power. And indeed in the, in the uh, investment grade markets now, I mean, it, you're roughly break even. Uh, that's not a great state of play either. So interest rates are so very low, uh, and, and, and in part because interest rates are so low and people are so yield starved uh, that as more and more money uh, gets up, gets printed in order to finance these deficits, and these deficits are going to be massive. Um, you know, there's and, and, and interest rates are continue to be repressed by the government, right? The central bank. For, for the right reasons, right? Uh, where does where's the release valve in all of this? And by our way of thinking, where you know if you if you can control both the price and quantity of money, the quantity of money, well, the place where sort of the release valve ends up being is that relative value of money. And with that, when you compare last year what the dollar did to G10 currencies, it, it was down relative to every G10 currency. Uh, and I would expect, as I, as I said earlier, I would expect that this weak, do, weak dollar uh, regime to continue and perhaps to get even worse. There are good parts to that and there are bad parts. But that, I think, is where the release valve is, is and, and will likely remain. Hans, is a weak, how do you think about a weak dollar as it relates to investing outside the United States? Um, uh, given all the other challenges that many places outside the United States are dealing with? Yeah, I, I think the root dollar gives you sort of the, um, you know, you go from a depreciating currency to something that's appreciating. Because when you think about the dollar, you always think about it relative to something else. There's no absolute pricing. It's all relative pricing. It's priced against some other currency. And those other currencies, when they're appreciating, uh, makes it uh, sort of a, an attractive tailwind for foreign investment. If you have a weakening dollar plus good fundamentals in those markets where you're going to, uh, that ends up making for a pretty fetching um, opportunity for, for a U.S.-based investor. And I think we're seeing that, especially in some of these emerging markets where it is beginning to turn. There is growth there. There is um, uh, uh, more commerce happening, better valuations and the like. You're a bit tricky, right? Because they're still going through a divorce with one of the members and they need a, a lot of regulatory reform. But we're likely to see some growth back in Europe. 
probably in the second half of this year, number one. And number two, valuations there, I think, are getting increasingly compelling, so they're hard to ignore. Hans, before we get to uh, your perspective as it relates to all the different asset classes, there are two um, topics I'd love to hear your thoughts, particularly as it relates to currency. And that would be gold and also uh, Bitcoin or uh, digital currencies. And how do you think about those, uh, given what you just discussed as it relates to the dollar? Well, I think the Bitcoin strikes me as a, a bubble. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me let me speak very plainly about that. Uh, I think it's a bubble. When you look at what we're seeing in some of these uh, closed-end trusts where it's trading at these just absolute stratospheric premiums. So for a dollar's worth of Bitcoin, you're paying perhaps you know three or four dollars. Uh, that makes absolutely no sense. Um, that is basically betting that somebody's going to pay a lot more uh, for something that you paid a premium for. I did go back, Austin, and I looked at Bitcoin and especially Bitcoin, um, less so gold, but but. Absolutely, Bitcoin is that that started to really lift when the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, released the the uh, you know its its armamentarium under the market. It just started printing money a lot, uh, and some of this, without a doubt, is that you know folks want an alternative currency. Okay, um, some of it is worried about inflation. That's fine, um, but when you're paying these types of premiums, uh, that makes that just you know that has always forever and always, ended in tears. And I'm not sure why it would be any different this time. Let me just say a little something about inflation because it is behind both the move in gold and Bitcoin. It isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and if anything, it has been so stubbornly low that the, even the central bank mandarins, right, the folks at the Federal Reserve, are saying that they're willing to let uh, inflation run for some time above their target in order to make it stick. When that's happening, right, it's hard to see how you get a lot of inflation. And um, even if you did get some inflation, what the bank is telling you is that they're willing to live with it. And it's probably not enough to cause any problems. So I think for the for the um, intermediate term, perhaps not the long term, but certainly the intermediate term. This is not something that we need to worry about. One final thought on this. We will get back to a more multilateral trade regime under the new administration. It won't be the way it was before um, um, the current administration, but with the Biden administration, we'll go back to more of a multilateral form of trade. Uh, uh, that will bring, right, pressures on inflation to fall again because countries trade based on relative advantage, uh, competitive advantage. And so over the last 20 years since China entered the WTO, anything that they sell tends to go down in price and anything that they buy tends to go up in price. And uh, I'm not so sure why that would change. Hans, thank you. Fascinating. I mean, we are indeed living in unique times. Let me ask as sort of a summation, um, your thoughts of how do we bring this patchwork of different um, asset classes, investments together um, to um, have a, a sturdy and durable portfolio 
um, through the course of the year. How do you? What, what are your perspectives across the different asset classes? Well, I think, uh, Austin, first of all, as I said earlier, we have to um, brace ourselves for periodic bouts of volatility in the new year, number one. Number two, uh, it's very unlikely, exceptionally unlikely, that we're going to see the types of uh, returns in 2021 that we saw in 2020. Um, uh, that's exceptionally unlikely. And in fact, if, 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 if past is prologue, when you've had big markets moves like that in year one, in year two, returns are much more muted. So, but how do you how do you navigate in an environment like this? And I think it comes back to first principles. You have multi-asset class portfolios. You have uh, ballast in the portfolio in terms of fixed income, even though its efficacy has been you know attenuated by by, by very low interest rates. You have uh, you own different um, types of companies and the like. And so when we think about it, you know we are we have been um, you know overweight U.S. companies. Will probably remain that way uh, in the United States uh, in, in 2021. But we're going to look to increase our exposures where we have been underweight in emerging markets and in international equities. Because we, while we might be early, um, we think there's a decent opportunity to get um, nice incremental return there. Fixed income complex is going to remain challenged uh, with yields so low. Uh, and we're likely to see some volatility around some of these yields as we reckon with a lot of government financing that's going to need to be done. Right now, probably the best opportunities that we see is, are in the structured credit markets, um, but they've recovered pretty nicely. There's still an opportunity there. Um, and there's probably a, a modest opportunity in investment-grade bonds at this juncture. Um, so, so that's the environment. It's, it's going to be, I think, uh, when it's all said and done, Austin, a, a much more nuanced environment in 2021 than it was in uh, 2020, where, you know, everything went down. There was absolute dysfunction in markets, and then there was, there was a roaring recovery. Now the hard work uh, needs to be done. Excellent. Well, thank you, Hans. And I look forward to when we get together uh, at the end of March to see to one marker of uh, our progression over the course of the year. Um, I hope everyone who's viewing this continues to be safe um, and for themselves and the well-being of their families. Um, and again, uh, thank you, Hans, uh, for the update. And we look forward to chatting uh, in the coming year. I would also like to express our appreciation to our audience for joining. We hope you found the discussion useful. This is a challenging time and at Fiduciary Trust, we have extensive wealth planning, investment, trust, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it. I encourage you to access some of our knowledge through insights on our website at fidtrustco.com, as well as through reaching out to a Fiduciary Trust officer if we can be of assistance. If you don't have a Fiduciary Trust officer, please reach out to Rick Tyson, who's one of our officers who can assist you. He can be reached at 617-292-6799 or tyson at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining and we wish you and your family health and well-being. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. They discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. 
any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and you should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with your investment, legal, or tax advisor. Copyright Fiduciary Trust Company.